Morning. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Uh, I really don't want to preach this message this morning. Um, not because it's not the Word of God and all those good things, but because this week was just really rough on me in the process of being ready for um, the sermon today. And so just being honest with you, and which we're kind of promised we're going to do, right? Okay. Um, so I'll share with you uh, the, the, the process that we went through this week, and then I'll let God determine what he wants to do with you guys. Um, so in, in the text this week, we're, we're uh, in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to be dealing with Jesus going to his hometown and being rejected by the, his hometown, by the people that knew him. And what, the process that I got thinking through is why is that such an incredibly difficult thing? Why is it so hard for, uh, for people uh, that know us to accept the changes that God's doing in our lives? Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but in the process for me, I spent the week going over all of my failures and the many different areas of ministry that I won't, don't go and do ministry much anymore because they know me. And they have a hard time believing that, that what's changing or the things that have changed in my life are actually real. Because they saw me when I was rebellious and angry and childish and and filled with myself and running after all the sinful things that I have done, and that's what they know me from. So I spent the week going through, which, what illustration should I use? I did not bring a list for you, because I am still struggling with dealing with all of them, and I had a great time with the Lord, and it was just incredible. Um, but it was very difficult to imagine all the different places that God uh, that, where people have an opinion of me because they've seen my heart. They saw me in my brokenness. They saw me make massive failures and bad decisions. And so you guys are stuck with me. How's that work? Anyway, that was my week. Isn't that exciting? Don't you guys feel the energy? That's, I was like, really, Lord, this is what we're going to do today? Are you kidding me? Uh, so... My prayer is that I'm not a mess, because I already am one. So, let's begin. I think we did, but let's start with the text. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could not do or he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out, or he went about um, among the villages teaching. So here we see Jesus returning to his hometown, returning to the place that he grew up. And, and as he begins to teach and he begins to interact with those, the, the, the people of his hometown and his family, they become astonished at his teaching about who he is and what he's telling them, the things that he's learned and the wisdom that he has and the power that he is sharing. In fact, the, the word astonished there, the, the 
kind of the meaning or the idea behind it is that they become astounded to, to such a degree as to nearly lose one's mental composure, is how, how the, my Greek uh, lexicon described it in the tools. So they pretty much lost their minds over how amazing he has become. Now, I know that there's a whole theological thing that we could spend going back and looking at who Jesus was. Did he have all of his Godhead? Was he fully human? What, what's the process? We're not going to take the time to do that this morning because although I believe that that's an important thing to consider, it appears that part of what Mark is trying to get the people, the readers of this gospel to understand is that part of what happened in Jesus's ministry, part of the process that, that he exposes in this is the heart of people um, in his hometown that rejected him because they knew him. They knew him as a young man. They knew his family. And it's, it's amazing to me um, it, that their response to this, right? And and so, what, what's what did they say? What, what what did the people question about Jesus? Uh, they said, first of all, where did he get this wisdom? What wisdom? We know in Isaiah uh, chapter fifty-five, uh, verses nine, and in that area, it says that God's wisdom is higher than man. As far as the earth is above the or the heavens are above the earth, so is God's ways above man's ways. We know that God's wisdom is far beyond ours. It, it makes us the, the best that we have before the Lord is foolishness. And so they question his wisdom. Where did he get this? How, I mean, we know his brothers. How many of you would testify that if people knew your brothers, they wouldn't trust you for nothing? Or your family, right? They were like, we know that family. There's nothing good comes out of there. How is this possible? And then there's the power that he has. Where did he get this power? They're hearing the testimonies of him healing people and casting out demons. And probably the, the little girl that was raised from the dead, they're hearing these things and they're disbelieving. They, they just can't accept that this is the same kid that grew up in their hometown. I remember one, uh, one night I got home uh, from, I think I was coming back from youth group probably. For whatever reason, that was the night I got in the most trouble uh, coming home. Um, but I got home, and my mom met me at the door. And she said, "Do you is there any reason that someone would have called me and suggest I take your keys from you before I end up at your funeral? Of course, I had the right answer. Why, no, Mom. <laughs> Can't imagine what they were talking about. It turns out I had an issue with driving fast back then. Who would have thunk? Somebody saw something in my life, and they, they called my parents to let them know that I was a danger to myself, in their opinion. I was at Bible school, and uh, as you guys know, we had a mutual agreement that I had a problem with authority, so they asked me to find residence somewhere else at the end of my first year, um, which in biblical terms, I got kicked out. Um, and so I went back the next year, and um, God was doing some great stuff in my life. I mean, he was, he was really changing my heart. Um, that's when I met Sally, great stuff. And, uh, and come towards the end of the year, I was really convicted that I had lied about one of my, one of my work details. I, I got stuck on the—I was one of the few guys that got stuck cleaning bathrooms for his entire Bible school career. Um, which had no idea that how well that would prepare me for ministry, but um, I had I had ticked off the dean of men, and and so I ended up cleaning bathrooms for the whole two years I was there, and 
Um, the second year I was convicted because I had done what I had done the first year and kind of skipped some things. And, and so I went and I went in and said, man, I just want to make this right. I lied about this one day. Well, he didn't believe me. He assumed <laughs> that I was still the same dumb lying kid that I was the year before. So I don't remember how many hours of uh, stair scrubbing I got. I had a little scrub brush and they had like three floors in the school. And I was spent my weekend when I was supposed to have time off scrubbing a lot of cleaning of that Bible school. Anyway, he had a hard time believing that I was honestly coming and confessing one failure that year. And, and he looked right at me and said, no way. You had to have lied more than that. There's no way that this is who you are. Think to myself, man, how, how did are we received? How, how did the people of Jesus' hometown receive him? They questioned who he was. They questioned his power. They questioned his wisdom. They, they look at all of these things about who he is today, and they say, man, this, this couldn't be, could not be the kid that left. So how, how did they receive Jesus? Well, they knew his family and his background, right? We, we know that. Um, they specifically mention his brothers. What's interesting, what do we know about his brothers? Well, we know that they didn't believe him either. We're going to look at that in just a second. Um, but when people know our history and our background, uh, would you agree with me that at least at times it gives them cause to be a little cautious, right? Can we agree with that? If people know the, the brokenness of our hearts, if they know our failures, if, especially if we've wounded one another or we've done things to harm one another, it's, it's wise to be cautious. I mean, we're not, we're not saying throw, havoc, you know, throw all caution to the wind and go running back in to get beat up again. I'm not, we're not, I'm not suggesting that. But there seems to be something in this process of knowing people and receiving them while knowing their background. Look at Acts chapter 9. We meet this poor guy named Ananias, and he had the, the misfortune of being a follower of Jesus, of God at the time, actually. He was a faithful follower of God. We pick up the story in verse 10 of Acts chapter 9. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarshish named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias went quietly. No, oh, no. Oh, no. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Here's Ananias praying and minding his own business, and God shows up and says, hey, I, I got a mission for you. You need to go and talk to Paul, the guy that's killing Christians. That's a pretty good uh, bad record to have, right? If you're going to have a fault in the Christian community killing one another, that's probably a pretty significant problem. 
And here the Lord sends Ananias and he goes, but Lord, I know him. I've heard the, re- I've heard the accounts. And yet he sends him. The people of Jesus' town did not believe him, and this includes his family. It's interesting, didn't you? Did you catch it in the text when he says this? In verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. How do we know that Jesus was not believed by his brothers? Uh, we see it in John chapter 7. We've looked at this passage before, but it just needs to be, we need to be reminded, I believe, John chapter 4, or John chapter 7, verse 3. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judah, or Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Even his brothers struggled to accept the changes, the challenge, the, 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 not, not even the changes, they they've struggled to accept who he was as Jesus, as the God, the Son of God, the coming Messiah, our Redeemer and Lord. And the people took offense at him and they did not believe. And because of that, because of their unbelief, Jesus was limited in the work that he did in that area. They were limited and unable to do the great and mighty works that he has done in other towns. So the, the question, and this is, this is kind of where, um, where I found myself really wrestling this week. How do we receive those we know? How do we receive those people that we do life with? People that have hurt us, that have failed us. People with flaws and sin issues and make mistakes, have bad attitudes, drive different cars than we do, or drive cars differently than we do, whichever problem you have with them. How do we receive those people? Well, hold on to your socks because you're not going to, we're, we're going to look at that. The problem is, you're right, the problem is, is that it's not our definition of love. It's how Christ did it. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. Because that's what we have to ask the question. Do we love as Jesus did? Look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 34 says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And he finishes the text by saying, By this all people will know that you are mine if you love one another. The amazing part in this text is that right before this, he's, he's telling the disciples that one of them is going to betray him. And right after this, he tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. It's in the context of this process that Jesus is giving them a new commandment to love as he's loved them. And, and honestly, for the, in the disciples' defense at this point in time, he's unaware of the depth of the love of Christ. 
He's not aware of how deep it's going to go. He, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's leaving, that he's going to die. He's, he's sharing with them the prophecies of what's coming, but they can't see it because they haven't experienced it. And yet later on in their ministry, later on in, in their faithful walk as they are be the disciples of Jesus, they do experience, they see the risen Lord, they experience and understand through the work of the Holy Spirit, the depth of his love, the, the way that his love transitions or transcends all the, the problems and difficulties of humanity. And then the second question that follows under how do we receive those, we know, do we forgive as Jesus forgives, right? Isn't that part of this? I think it is. I think that when we start looking at how we interact with people, how we receive Jesus or how we receive others as his body, forgiveness is a key part of this. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I just want to point out, uh, we use that a lot in marriage. You'll notice that this is the context of the church. Just that don't let your son, the sun go down on your anger. I don't know if you guys have ever been taught that in a marriage class. Don't go to bed angry, whatever. This is the context of the church. Although it works in marriage, the biblical truth is don't let the sun go down on your anger between us. Phones will be busy. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good as is good for the building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Forgiveness is a key part of how we interact as the body of Christ, of how we receive people as the body of Christ, and how we reflect what Jesus has called us to do in our condition. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. This is an important truth for us. And remember that passage in Matthew chapter 6 comes right after the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he walks them through and says, this is how you interact with your Father. And forgiveness is an important piece. Why, why am I wrestling with this? Well, because as I was struggling my whole week, looking at all the different areas, going, man, how... How, how do I testify to the truth of where I'm at in my life? As I consider the flaws and the failures and the challenges, the weaknesses that I have, I come to a grand conclusion that I'm not qualified to do this, right? 
I mean, if we think about it, if we're really honest about who we are and we consider the calling that God's put in our life, he's asked us to be the ambassador of the body of Christ. He says, I want you guys to love like I loved. I want you to forgive like I forgive because I am going to, through you, demonstrate to the world how Jesus loves and forgives, what the gospel of the truth of the word is. If we consider our flaws and our failures, the, the, the mistakes and, and, and travesties of our lives, I think, honestly, we'd all have to come to the conclusion that we're not qualified to do this on our own. Which is an important aspect of humility that we each need to grapple with. But in the, mo- in the, in the process of that study in the process of that work as I was wrestling with my own heart, this thought popped into my head. How does the Father receive us? How does the Father receive you and me? How did we come to be his children? Was it because of how good we are? Was it because we were so wonderfully made that we sought after him? I believe that, we'll just look at a couple of texts, but in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, we see this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for you, or for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. While we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, God sent his son to die for you and for me. When we think about how the Lord received us, it impacts how we should see one another. It changes how we should do church. We don't do church, we are the church. It changes how we should forgive and how we should love one another. How does the Father receive us? While we were his enemies. I love this passage, Psalms 103, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 14. This is King David, and you guys know King David, right? He was the bastion of self-control, model of, model of a God follower in the Old Testament, um, murderer, adulterer, and yet a man after God's own heart, right? This is his testimony about his God. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, 
Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with a steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your, te- your youth is renewed like the eagles? The, Lord's, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. David seems to have an intimate relationship with this God. And I love the reminder of this. He knows our frame. He made us. He built us. He knows the flaws that we have. He knows our heart's condition. When Christ died on the cross for you and for me, he was well aware of the issues of our lives. And all of our sins are paid for in that moment. You and I come to church, you and I come to this process of following Jesus, not because this is such a wonderful place to be with a bunch of wonderful people, although sometimes we are, but the reality is we gather together to exalt the King of Kings, who in the midst of our brokenness offered us new life, redeemed us from death and brought us into the living relationship with an eternal God. Knowing who you are and who I am. Knowing those things. So is our past dark? Do we have flaws and failures? Are we struggling with sins today and attitudes today? I would guess that we are because you're still breathing. But God the Father knows you. He knows you. And he knows me. And his grace was offered in that condition. Can you imagine a church that gets a hold of that truth? Can you imagine a church where young men and women grow up making mistakes in their family and they're brought up in new life and allowed to serve and to care for and be the the lights and, and the parts of the body that God's called them to be here in their hometown with their family? There's almost nothing greater than when a child makes a mistake and a parent's able to restore that trust. There's almost nothing greater for the child than knowing that the trust has been restored and they have the full confidence of their parent. And vice versa, there's almost nothing greater for a parent than to be able to restore that child and trust them again. And I believe that that's part of what God's called us to be as a body. You and I are the physical expression of the living Jesus on earth. When we love as he loved and we forgive as he forgives, the world gets to see Jesus in the flesh, in action here.
So how do we receive people? Are you bound up by your past? Are you trapped in fear of being exposed? I thought to myself this week, man, maybe if we just like came in and did an open confession so everybody knew everything about everyone, we'd all just give up. We'd all just quit trying to hide and act like somehow we show up here good. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but we turned off the make everybody seem perfect filter when you came in today. Just so you know, we turned that off this week, so because otherwise I couldn't get in. And how do we receive people? Do you know that there are people in our body who are, who are trapped in the fear of being exposed because of their failures and their fears and their weaknesses? Some of us in this room hide in those moments because we're afraid of people knowing what's really going on in our heart. Others of us sit in judgment of other people because we know a little bit about what's going on in their heart. And we're like, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not like them. That's just the truth. It's the reality of who we are. It's the difficulty of being the church. And yet we're called to this. Jesus said to love as I loved you. Forgive as God has forgiven you through me. There's days I wonder if, as we're doing church, as we're busy making plans for Sunday and and trying to figure out parking issues and building issues and ministry stuff, if we're missing one of the most important things. And that's not letting the sun go down on our being, us being angry with one another in this church. Or angry with somebody in the family. I think it might be time to think about that. It might be time to consider what has God called us to be as a church? Are we going to be the place that loves people in their brokenness? Are we going to be a place that loves and forgives people in their flaws? Or are we going to be one of those churches that just looks good on the outside and has a toilet on the inside? That's what Jesus seems to compare us to. Actually, I think it was a tomb that he actually compared us to with dead bodies inside. But we looked good on the outside, polished up that sepulcher. I don't think that's who he wants us to be. Because if it was just about looking good on the outside, you guys would be so much easier to do. We're all pretty good at that. We'd come to church all pumped up and excited about our success every week. Hey, you guys, nobody noticed I'm a sinner this week. That's not what he's called us to, especially here as a church. We of all people should know the best. We should be the most intimately aware of the depth of his love, the depth of his forgiveness, the power of being restored in that relationship. As we think about what it means to be the church this week, I want to challenge you to pray with me. First, a confession. Lord, I don't love like you do, and I don't forgive like you do. That may not be you. I'm excited for you. Come and tell me how you've done it. First, I think we need to take some time and confess that we're not loving like Jesus or forgiving. 
And then the second part of that is to say, God, humble my heart so that when I see this area in my life, I will surrender to you and go make it right. It's risky business. Risky business. Because you don't, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, if you've ever apologized to somebody because you were kind of a creep and then they didn't receive it. Whew, that stinks. That's hard stuff. But you and I have been given, I believe, a new commandment from the King of Kings, our Messiah, to go and love as he loved. And it'll change how we receive people in this church. It will change how we care for one another. It'll make it possible for those of us with flaws to serve the Lord together in a body. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a kind and patient God, filled with steadfast love, and that you are long-suffering with us. Father, I confess that I don't forgive well. And you know my history. And of all people, I should be one of the most forgiving, gracious people on the earth. So, Lord, I pray that you would convict my heart of where it is that I need to change. Lord, as a church, you would convict our hearts of where we're not loving one another as you love where we're not forgiving, God, where we would see who you are, we would see your gift, your call, your command, and we would reject it. Because we know their past, we know their family, we know their flaws. Maybe it's because they've hurt us or wounded us or done some, failed us in some way, but God, you've called us to more than that. You have called us to love and to forgive as you have done. So, Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts this week as we consider what it means to be your church, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And that, God, you bring restoration to hearts and souls today. Because when we think about how to do this, God, we go to your example in our Savior and Messiah. And we recognize that we're not worthy we are grateful that while we were enemies of our king, he died for me.